and um, just wanted to share some thoughts with you. There's a story in the Bible in, um, in Acts chapter 8 of one of the first baptisms. There's a, there's a man called Philip, and he senses he should go to a particular place. <clears throat> and as he does so, he meets, uh, he meets an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the queen of the Ethiopians. And when Philip meets this man, he's reading from the Bible, but he doesn't understand it, so Philip explains it to him, and then we read these words. Then Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot, and then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. So this man, 2,000 years ago, hears the good news of Jesus, and as he heard something, it led him to want to publicly affirm that. And so he decides he's going to get baptized, which is, of course, what we've just done with Tom. But this morning, I want to talk about the good news about Jesus. And I want to start by uh, this phrase that Tom shared when he told his story. I just felt this release and adrenaline that I'd never felt before. That was the day I got saved. And I want to talk about this idea of being saved. It's a bit of Christian jargon, really. Um, I'm not sure anybody quite knows what it actually means. But um, we're going to explore what it might mean uh, and what it doesn't mean, because I think it's really important we do. We're going to talk about a wedding album, we're going to talk about a ticket office, and we're going to talk about someone burying a million quid in your back garden. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. It's a metaphor, sweet you? Metaphor. <laughs> I'd love it to be prophetic and be declaring it, but I, I think it's just a metaphor. But I want to talk about this, this idea of, of, of being saved, because it's really important to think through what happened that day when Tom came to a point where he saw himself and he saw Jesus in a new light. And it's important because many Christians, there are many people who, who are Christians and choose to believe in Jesus, but they don't really experience the fullness of what that actually means. And it's important if Jesus isn't somebody who's currently relevant to you because I'd hate you to reject something having only heard of a poor imitation of the real thing. I mean, if you went to a track day and you got excited about driving around in some amazing cars and they gave you a Ford Fiesta and then you drove around and that was your idea of a track day, you'd be a bit disappointed. And I think a lot of people, they've heard about Jesus and it's a bit like getting a Ford Fiesta on a track day. It doesn't sound very enticing. But it is enticing. So I want to start with looking at a couple of things being saved isn't. Let's start with a wedding album. This idea says that being saved is about remembering what God did for us in and through Jesus and then trying to live our lives accordingly. It's like looking back at pictures of the past and trying to reconnect with who we were then and who, who was who then. And we try and kind of put ourselves back in contact with Jesus. Maybe we, we read the Bible, we read about the nice thing he's done. We try and kind of jump past the bits that don't seem very nice in the Old Testament. But the nice bits about Jesus, we look at them and try and be like him. Which, of course, doesn't work on lots of fronts. I've tried being nice. I can't do it. I've tried being kind all the time. I can't do it. I'm just not very good at it. Maybe it's just me, but I kind of look at the world, and I think it's probably common to all of us that trying to be nice just doesn't really work very well. It underestimates this huge problem of selfishness we all have, because no matter how hard we try and think and do nice and right things, we don't manage it. Because some people think that Christianity and being saved is a bit like a ticket office. Jesus is the ultimate ticket seller. And in order to buy a ticket, you've got to kind of do certain things. 
So maybe you've got to make sure you read your Bible, or you've got to pray, you've got to go to church, maybe you've got to you know, do some good deeds, so I'll help out the food bank every now and again. The problem is that's a long way from what Jesus was all about. And it's a long way because it involves you earning the ticket. It involves you having to do something to get whatever it is you're trying to get and to go wherever it is you're trying to go. Even though it's not exactly clear what you have to do or how long you have to do it for. That's called religion. Some people get shocked when they tell them what job I do, I lead the church. And they go, you must be religious. And I go, I hope not. And they kind of look at me a bit strange. And... But actually for me, religion's all about trying to keep to a set of rules or laws and doing the right thing and not doing the right thing. And I'm not really interested in any of that because I didn't find much life in it. In fact, I find it very life-killing. It keeps people locked down in fear, constantly worrying whether they do enough to receive the love of Jesus, get to heaven, or whatever else the end goal is. For me, both of those are really poor imitations of what Jesus is all about and what Tom and I and many others have experienced and come to enjoy. I mean, think back to the story I told you at the beginning. He has a conversation. Peter shares some things with him, and he says, all right, great, let's crack on. He's not had any chance to do anything. He's not had any chance to be anything. He's not had any chance to do very much, really, other than just receive a new depth of understanding and perhaps accept some truths. Perhaps there's something about the orientation of his heart, something that perhaps he accepted in some way. So if it's not about remembering and trying, and it's not about doing plenty of good things, what is it all about? Well, we'll get to that in a minute, but let me just show you a short video first. I think I can do it for me, Simon. Okay. In him. Actually, it's impossible to be out of him. Even the staunchest atheist cannot be rid of him. A man called Paul once said this whilst passing through one of the most beautiful and creative cities in the world at that time. In Acts 17, verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. He was looking at the beautiful works of art, reading the poets and considering all the objects of their worship. They had created some wonderful things. Why? Because we are all made in the image of the creator, each and every one of us. Of course, there have been many things trying to separate us from the love of our father. But that is one of the reasons why Jesus, his beloved son, came to the earth. To take away all that separates us from our Father in heaven. There is no place you can go where he isn't. King David said it like this in Psalm 139, verse 7 to 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me, because the darkness shall not hide for you, but the night shall shine as day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. There is nowhere you can go to escape from him, and let's face it, 
why would you want to? He loves, has chosen you and set you apart to deliver something of himself into the earth. Say yes. This is what I think it means to be saved. It means you realize that there's nothing that separates you from the love of Father God. It means you see that you're accepted and loved just as you are. It means you see that you are never alone and never have been alone. It means you come to understand you were born for a purpose and no matter how you came into the earth, you were always in the heart of Father God. It means you understand you've been fashioned by God and he wants to lavish his love on you. You notice there's not a lot of doing in any of those. There's just some accepting. You see, that's what I think it means to be saved, which is why I think there are a lot of people who think they're saved, but really aren't. Just because somebody said a prayer at some point, or turned up to church, or read the Bible, doesn't mean you can necessarily have a clue about any of this. Thomas started to see that these things are true about him. He's on a journey learning more and more that these are eternal truths that remain true for everyone, everywhere, at all times. How, how does this realization come about? If we don't remember and try and we don't need to do lots of good things, then how do we come to this realization? Well, the author Robert Farrakh Pond puts it better than I could, so I'm going to read his words. Suppose I were to tell you that I'd already buried under a flat rock on a piece of property you own a million pounds in crisp 50 pound notes. And suppose I were also to tell you I have no intention of ever taking this money back. It's there and that's that. On one level, I have given you a piece of sensationally good news. You are the possessor of a million pounds, no conditions attached and no danger of me reneging on my gift. And if you trust me, that is, if you go to your property and start turning over flat rocks, you will sooner or later actually be able to relate to the million I so kindly gave you. But note something crucial. Your faith, your trust does not earn you the money. Nor does it con me into giving it to you. The money was yours all along just because I was crazy enough to bury it in your backyard. But suppose now that instead of running out and lifting rocks, you sat down and started thinking about my gift. At that point, the million dollars could easily cease to be good news and become nothing but a problem. You might, for example, decide that I was talking through my hat, or I had a perverse desire to wear you out hoisting stones, or that no one in his right mind would actually do what I claimed, or that you didn't deserve such a gift, or that it was impossible for me to give you such a gift, or even if I gave you the good news of the gift through a representative and not in person, that I didn't exist. In any case... The longer you thought such thoughts, the less likely you would be to bother turning over rocks. Just to be clear, I've not buried any money in your garden. <laughs> but hopefully you get the point. You see, being saved, knowing Jesus, becoming a Christian, isn't about doing anything. It's much more about accepting what has already been done in and through Jesus. It's about accepting what has already been freely given and deposited in you. And it's not a one-off event, but a lifetime of being continually 
and increasingly saved. Which is entirely true within the Bible, which speaks of uh, this idea of salvation being past, present, and future. It's past because, hey, it's all done. It's all sorted, it's all given, it's all out there. It's present because we're continually learning and growing and accepting. And it's future because at some point it will all just be an ultimate truth at the deepest level that we know. The reality is that right now, just as you are, whether you believe it or not, and whatever you think about it, this is true. You are connected to the love of Father and Jesus. You are accepted and you are loved. You are not alone. You are born for a purpose. You have always been in the heart of God. You have been fashioned by him and he wants to lavish his love on you. And Christianity becomes a reality in its fullness when we stop thinking about it and trying to work it all out. Seems to me that Capon is right when he says the longer you think such thoughts, the less likely you are to bother turning over rocks. Tom and I spent some time together. He said, Adam, I've got some questions. I thought, oh dear. <laughs> Come on then, let's go and have a drink. That might help. So we went for a drink together. And Tom's a very bright guy. He's a biologist. He's extremely bright, much brighter than I am. And he asked me a lot of questions. And I think he answered, I don't know, quite a lot that evening. Yeah. Or I'm not sure. Which seemed to help, I imagine. I think he was trying to reconcile somehow his science background and training with all that he was sensing and hearing and trying to pull them two together. And I answered, don't know, I'm not sure, because I didn't know and I wasn't sure. <laughs> I find that just being honest is the most helpful way. But also because I was aware that the more you think about it and try and work it all out, the less likely you are to bother turning over bricks and find what you're actually looking for. So coming to know Jesus, which is a lifelong process, it's not about doing or working out in your head, it's about accepting what a part of you, your spirit already knows to be true, and your mind catching up with the eternal truths that have always been placed deep within you. This is what Tom talked about in his testimony. That reminds you of the words uh, that I shared earlier, but in a bigger context. Tom said this, Paul was preaching about mental health and being you, and that all the things that go on in your head are not what Jesus thinks of you, so why should you think of yourself like that? And I just felt this release and adrenaline that I'd never felt before. That was the day I got saved. What happened? Tom had all these thoughts about who he was that all came from his background and his upbringing and just life, because we've all got those things. And then he was aware there's a whole other narrative about his life and a whole other narrative about his journey in himself. And eventually he had to go, which narrative do I want to believe? Do I want to believe the narrative I've told myself? I don't want to believe this narrative that I'm increasingly seeing seems to be true, even though it seems too good to be true. And I think what happened that morning was that he chose to believe a different narrative. He suddenly saw he didn't need to agree with all the negative thoughts in his head because there was something higher and truer that he'd come to understand and grasp. He went on to say, I slowly started to accept myself for who I am through his love. He came to see the real and tangible love of Jesus. He could accept himself just as he was, not before he changed, not before he got his mental health all kind of on an even keel, not before this got sorted or that got sorted, but just exactly as he was. He didn't need to beat himself up or condemn himself or feel terribly guilty about this, that, or the other because he realized, hey, I'm loved and I'm accepted just as I am. He experienced something 
outside and inside himself that meant he could move towards a place where he could be at peace within himself. And if it's true of Tom, it can be true of all of us. In fact, it is true of all of us. So let me finish by reminding you what I think it really means to know Jesus. It means to realize that there's nothing that separates you from the love of Father God. It means to see you're accepted and loved just as you are, with a love deeper than anything you have ever experienced or will experience on the earth. It means to see that you're never alone and never have been alone. It means you come to understand you were born for a purpose and no matter how you came into the earth, you were always in the heart of Father God and it means you understand that you have been fashioned by God and he wants to lavish his love on you. And the only thing to do, if there is anything to do, is to choose to accept these truths at deeper and deeper levels. At first, of course, it may be a tentative acceptance. Tom's was a journey of going, okay, this is a bit weird, but okay. And he went on a journey. And I guess we're all on a journey one way or another. No matter how long we've known Jesus or not known Jesus, we're all on a journey. I am on this journey of knowing more and more and more that just as I am, I am accepted and I can never be alone. And of course, it seems too good to be true, but it's not. It's simply true. And all anyone needs to do is to say thank you. That's all we need to do. Do you want to say something, Paul? I thought you might do. Well, I don't know about you, but Jesus is visiting. It's beautiful. It's beautiful when Jesus visits. And by that, I mean his, his presence is just more and more immediate. But I really sense this morning, I've been sat there and I, I feel as though I'm holding someone's heart. Um, and I can't really describe it. I felt this as well, Tom, that, and I, where is Tom? Oh, Tom's there. Thank you for sharing. It's beautiful to hear. I felt, though, that something's going to happen in your life that's going to be very beautiful, and he's going to open a lot of doors. And you were going to be amazed because you thought he can't do it. He's not able to do it. But I'm telling you, he's going to do some incredible things and you were going to see it. Because it's a bit like a pack of cards, you know. You, the first one goes and then they keep on going. And I just felt like he's going to, he's going to unlock some things all around you and it's going to be beautiful. And there's some people even here today, I don't know if it's one or two, but can, can we all just, would you all just close your eyes with me right now? Because it is like Adam said, we can just accept, he loves us so incredibly much. 
His love is so incredible, so deep, so beautiful. And Father, I could never represent how much you love us. But I thank you that you give us opportunity, Lord, to speak into the lives of one another and to bring gifts and to bring life, Lord. And this morning, Lord, those hearts, every heart in this room, Lord, we just give it permission to be unlocked, Father. Our own heart, Lord. Whatever the pains have been, Father. And Lord, you, saw, you, you showed me someone running away, Lord. They were just running and running. And every time they heard about you, they ran even further. But Lord, they didn't realize they're running right into your arms. They can't run away from you. They can't get away from you. But Father, I just want to thank you that as we unlock our hearts, Father, this morning, we just say yes to you, Jesus, to your love. And Father, we are sorry where we've put up barriers, Lord where we blamed you for things that you have not done. But your goodness is so good and your faithfulness is so faithful. And you have been with us, Lord, every minute of every day, Father. And we place a blessing, Father. I place a blessing on this house, Father, and on every single person that is here, Lord, and every single family that is represented. And Father, I thank you, Lord, that that blessing, Lord, will explode, Jesus. It will explode, Father. The fullness of your blessing, Lord, inside our lives will explode more and more, Father. Of goodness and of joy, Lord. Just exploding, Lord, everywhere. Father, I thank you so much that you are the God of the impossible. That nothing is impossible for you. And I thank you for these dear people, Lord, for these beautiful, dear people here, Lord, today. And whatever that is, I feel in my heart, Father, I just release it, Lord. Because I cannot even explain it, Lord. I do not know how to say it, but I just release it, Father, on this house. In the name of Jesus. And I thank you so much, Lord, for your love and your goodness.